0: You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed
1: as we welcome you along to the programme, the final one of the week. Some people on to us uh, today looking for information and, and we're, we're attempting to try and get answers, including Barry and Skibbereen is wondering, is there any update on the Jersey Island cable car and when that's going to reopen? I know we discussed that a couple of weeks ago on the programme and it looked like it was fairly close uh, to being back up and uh, running. And then Aileen in Kinsale was on wondering, will Camden uh, open in Crosshaven this year or is it still closed. So we've got onto to Cork County Council on both of those issues and hopefully we will have an answer back before the close of the programme. But the successor to the Late late Show is very much back in the news. It's in all of the papers today. Why? Because you probably heard yesterday Claire Byrne decided to rule herself out as a possible replacement for Ryan Tuberty. As I say all of the papers talking about it today and I was reading Kirsty Blake Knox's piece in the Irish Independent and she was pointing out that when Ryan Tubberty announced a number of weeks ago that he was going to resign from the Late Late Show. Claire Byrne came out as one of the favourites to take over the reins and actually Claire Byrne did an interview on her radio show immediately after Ryan Tuberty announced that this would be his last season on the Late Late Show and Ryan Tuberty himself during that interview suggested that Claire Byrne and he suggested it to Claire Byrne that she would be a good candidate. Now at the time she just laughed off the suggestion but she didn't say yay or nay and then for the last number of weeks she's definitely been the bookie's uh, favourite now uh, part of that is probably down to the fact that it has been widely reported that RTE are very keen that the next presenter of The Late Late Show should be Female. Now, some are saying that's not surprising, given that it's been exclusively been fronted by male hosts for the last uh, 60 years. And there was only two occasions where Miriam O'Callaghan and she was only filling in at the time. For the rest, it's been uh, Byrne, Pat Kenny and then Ryan uh, tu- Tuberty. But yesterday, wasn't a great news day for for. For the powers that be at RTE, because Katrina Perry announced on social media that she's leaving the RTE newsroom, and she's actually going back to Washington, but she's not going back to Washington with RTE. She's going back to Washington with the BBC. So that news uh, came out, and then very shortly afterwards, Claire Byrne decided to announce that she's not in the running for the Late Late Show. She said she wants to spend more time with her family. Now Claire was quoted yesterday. As saying Saying, I have a young family, I have a very busy home life and I have a full time job that I love. And right now, that is enough for me. And actually, the comments she made yesterday very much echo what she said. Late last year when she announced that she was going to stand down from her TV programme, the Clare Byrne live show, that weekly show that she'd been hosting I think for about seven years. And she said at that time that, look, I have a young family, very busy family life. I just don't have time to fit it all in. And she said at the time that her daughter used to cry every time she went out to work and that absolutely broke her heart. And so, and I remember, particularly when Ryan Tuberty was suggesting Claire Byrne would be a good fit and yeah, she absolutely would be a good fit. But I remember thinking at the time, but here's the same female presenter who gave up her own TV show because she has a young family. So for that reason alone, I was always thinking I can't see Claire Byrne entertaining it, but she's taken some time to think about it, obviously, but she's come out now and said um, uh, no. And 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 of course, I mentioned Miriam O'Callaghan had done the show twice. Miriam McCallaghan very quickly distanced herself from the position and said, no, I'm happy doing what I'm doing. I'm happy with my work on primetime. So I'm certainly not interested in in being even considered for the uh, late late later. Now, discussions about the future of the show and the next host has been ongoing literally since Ryan Tauberty announced that he would be leaving at the end of this season and it's been seemingly at the very highest level at, at RTE. There is a limited pool of broadcasters who would have the experience to jump in and take over the Late Late because you know it's a live show it covers a huge range of subjects and it changes in tone constantly I mean it can change in tone on the one you know if you watch it tonight it can change in tone from being very light to being very uh, serious to maybe having a political story so there's a certain skill set that that is needed uh, for it so you know lots of people were saying Clayburn was the obvious choice because she does have that skill set and I see uh, Willie O'Reilly he was Former RTE and uh, Today FM uh, boss, he straight away was saying Clayburn was the obvious uh, choice. Um, Willie O'Reilly thinks the level of criticism and scrutiny over salaries could well deter many from taking on this particular job. He says it can become slightly toxic and he was referencing the harassment Ryan Tuberty has faced while out in public. People coming up to you and putting phone cameras into your face and shouting at you and actually only saw he was out last weekend. He looked like he was in a newsagent and he got instantly harassed uh, by somebody and you just think, God, is any job or any wage packet worth that kind of harassment? Willie O'Reilly says hosting the late late and dealing with so much public commentary is an unenviable uh, position. And he was the one who said you'd really want to have a tough skin for it. Now, if the broadcaster is keen, uh, if RT are keen that a female broadcaster from within their stable, then there are other front runners. There's the primetime presenter, Sarah McInerney. And I know a number of our listeners when we first started talking about it, push forward Sarah McInerney and she's done really and is doing really well on prime time. There's Angela Scanlon who's presenting that programme on a Saturday night Ask Me uh, Anything and then a lot of people are also saying you couldn't go far from the Dancing with the Stars host Jennifer Sapparelli she definitely has the skill set uh, as well and back in March She said that she was flattered to be linked in any way with the Late Late Show gig. And she replied at the time that stranger things have happened when asked whether she would take it on board. However, there are those who think the top job should be based on merit rather than gender. A former RTE Late show producer, Larry Masterson, he says, if you're looking for a presenter, you should judge on quality and ability. And he's saying it shouldn't necessarily just be down to uh, gender. So if you take the gender and if you take it must be a female outfit, then look at the males that are out there that whose names are being mentioned and the uh, Brendan O'Connor is uh, one well known Sunday independent uh, columnist and of course he's done his own TV work uh, in the past and of course he's got successful radio programmes as well Patrick Keelty is still being mentioned and Baz ash who has a lot of television experience you know the DIY SOS show he's currently that we currently have on our screens is wonderful I think the first First time I think we probably saw him on TV was the 50 ways to kill your mammy and wonderful, wonderful show. And he's very he's got a wonderful compassion about him uh, as well and how he would be on the tougher side of it. I don't really know. But uh, he is uh, somebody who um, said he hasn't been contacted by RTE in relation to the show. But he didn't rule out that if they came knocking on his door that he wouldn't have a chat uh, uh, about It with them. He did say, though, hosting the late late would be like juggling uh, grenades. And there has been some calls for the broadcaster. Maybe don't look out, you know, stop looking within. Maybe go outside, go further afield. Maybe look at somebody who is a completely less established uh, talent. But the danger there is if you hand the show to somebody completely unknown, or somebody with very little experience on that type of show I suppose for RTE they'd have to question would that be too much of a, a gamble remember the Late Late Show on a Friday night brings in huge revenue in terms of advertising and being too adventurous could just prove a little bit too uh, reckless but whoever gets the gigs gig the producer of what is a juggernaut programme according to Kirsty Blake Knox today uh, will have to tweak the programme to reflect obviously the strengths of whoever takes uh, over and RTE has yet to confirm when the new host will be announced but it seems likely this is going to have to be in the coming weeks well yeah and you would have thought that there's only weeks left it's the last Friday isn't it in May that Ryan Tuberty would do his last show you would think by the time he's signing off that we would have the name maybe they'll, they'll hold off because certainly then the summer is going to have to be whoever that person is uh, getting ready for when the show comes back in September but Clareburn as I say the reason it's back in all of the papers today is Claire Byrne is saying no way Jose don't want the gig a listener says Patricia you misquoted uh, Willie O'Reilly the former RT and Today FM boss uh, who was talking about Claire Byrne being the obvious choice for the late late and whoever uh, takes it over he was saying you know it's an inevitable position and that uh, I said I quoted Willie as saying that you'd want to have very thick skin Somebody's at out point that wasn't quite what Willie said uh, he said you'd want to have the skin of a certain part of a jockey's body which obviously I wasn't going to say on air uh, at quarter past ten in the morning but yes, yeah, to me I changed it to you'd want to have tough skin um, Jason feels that I would be great, thank you, um, no uh, John in Cove says I was having a lovely morning Patricia until the late, late show got mentioned I don't think people care too much about about it really, Lyndon from Moy doesn't like Angela Scandon being mentioned for the late late show as a presenter she doesn't do it for Arlinda Infirmoy and Monica Nyola and is in the same camp she finds Angela Scandon's show can be smutty times and the language unnecessary for TV but I suppose it's a different format of a show she says she's really going to shed a tear when Ryan leaves the the Late Late Show because she found him fantastic 0818 uh, 103 103 and Michael in Castamber is disappointed that Claire Byrne has stepped back from the Late 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 Show but Micah says I guarantee you Claire knows more than we know.
0: Watch this space. Only time will tell. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork Today at c103.ie. Court today
1: on C103. Now, after a long battle, the Geary family from Ballyhooley have settled their High Court case to get support of a fully qualified sign language interpreter in the classroom with their profoundly deaf son, Callum, to reflect on what they've been through. Uh, Dad, Andrew Geary, uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Andrew. Good
0: morning. And, and,
1: and you're welcome. I suppose, firstly, tell us how Callum is doing and the difference a sign language interpreter is with him in the classroom, makes to his education?
2: In fairness, uh, Patricia, uh, there was an interim solution put in place as soon as he arrived in secondary school of a fully qualified interpreter being there and it's had immense potential development for him over the course of the whole academic year. And in fairness to the school, they put a lot of uh, extra plans in place around that and it's facilitated his learning to the absolute his potential and that's where he, he's reaching now because he has access to the full vocab and lexicon of whatever's going on in every subject matter, be that history, science, French or maths. And that's, that's what we've been seeking for years and hopefully as a result of this, that he's going to have that for our six years of secondary school.
1: And of course, the fact that Callum is a half twin were you, were you directly able to see the difference in Callum's education and his twin brother's, Donica's education and the way each of them were learning and the levels that both of them were at?
2: Yeah, that's an absolute fact. Uh, people obviously don't compare your children, but you do despise that great advice and that's exactly it. And you can see between the... Between all your kids, which 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 teachers are most effective teaching most subjects, and that that's the case with with any classroom. But now we can definitely see the access is at 100% because you have a fully qualified, fluent sign language user in there at every moment, making sure that every term, every new jargon, every new definition is understood, and you're not. Allowing just a child to rely on guesswork and despite always having brilliant teachers, you need that full fluency in any language to make sure that the bridge between the child and the learning occurs.
1: Yeah, because I remember talking to you at one stage and you were even, uh, when the boys were younger, it was the the difference in the books that both the boys were reading. Donica was reading at the right age the books for his age group, whereas poor Callum wasn't able to do that. And that just seems so unfair.
2: Yeah, there's been a significant catch-up in fairness through uh, his mother's hard work with his vocab and making sure that he he reads and between the school and he is in all mainstream classes and at the moment, and listen, that's great credit to as I said, his teachers over all the years and to the teachers that he has this year and it's it, it's down to hard work basically and I, I think that uh, it's uh, the bridge building is there and that that's always been our, our campaign has always been built around making sure the link between what's going on in the classroom and the learning he's receiving is on a par with hearing students.
1: Was it a difficult decision, Andrew, for you as a family to go down the legal route?
2: Oh, yeah, huge. I I knew that that was going to be stressful, didn't know how stressful, but I always thought we've gone down the Oireachtas route, have been to the UN, we did conferences, we did a lot of media stuff, thanks to yourself and the other storytellers in our democracy over the years, and even went on national television and radio, and ultimately, when that didn't work, unfortunately, we had to go down the legal route. And that's that's a huge step to take because you don't know where that's going to go. A, a courtroom is, is a very, very stressful place to go, especially a civil courtroom where the rules are different. And it, it was a very, very difficult decision. Huge, huge implications if you lose. And it's, uh, it's all on you. You're, you're the person... Basically, bring in the case so everything is on your shoulders.
1: Yeah, and, 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 and it's important to mention that. Now, thankfully, you won your case. But if you had lost, what were the financial implications?
2: Well, our own costs were well over €100,000 and I'm sure the state's costs were equal or more and you you basically multiply that. It, it, and and like whereas it was a negotiated settlement, in the end... Uh, so I suppose there's no winners or losers. Once Callum, the real winner is the education system. Yeah, yeah. But but uh, the implications would have been huge for us if we had lost. We probably would have had to sell our home, and and that would have absolutely been of catastrophic. Uh, levels of of stress. However, that that didn't happen. Thank, thank God. God. And, thank God.
1: But this dragging people through the courts, um, Andrew. Um, I mean, it it has to stop. We 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 live it, in a rights based democracy.
2: Yeah, and that that's a fact. And on, like I will say, I'm glad we had access to the High Court. Unfortunately, there's huge stress attached to it. But when you when you exhaust every other route, the legislation, you you have told the story many times about the Irish Sign Language Act when that didn't work, when visits to the UN didn't work and basic other campaign strategies didn't work, you've no other option to go to the High Court. Now, the state always defends these actions. There was a show on recently in RTE, I think it was Katie Hannon a few Mondays ago about the necessity. And you look at our real great liberators and... Uh, drivers of our time, Vicky Phelan and uh, the surrogate smear campaigners, what happened to them and that was totally wrong and those ladies are still having to go through the High Court litigation system to get justice. That's Unfortunately, we we need to look at legislation around that or the Attorney General saying, listen, we can't be dragging our own citizens through the court to uh, back up and to basically support their rights to education or health or medicine or to to truth and justice. And that's what we were taught in our history books, that ours was going to be a rights-based republic. That's what the founders of our state told us that they were trying to create for us. But unfortunately, it hasn't come to four, yes.
1: Yeah, it's a shame. It's a shame. You mentioned the Irish Sign Language uh, Act, and and you were involved in that. I mean, and the and that that act is it's now an official language since I think it was twenty seventeen. So the yeah. fact that it's an official language, there is a duty to provide free interpretation, and that includes in the classroom.
2: You believe I believe that, but. Again, that that would have been teased out in a high court room if we had gone into a full hearing, and the states will have different legal interpretations of sentences that you will I will interpret, and that's 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 the unfortunate area of going into lay litigation. You have one legal team going up against another lay legal team, and it's it's a, it's a very it's a tightrope when you've people interpreting words differently. Mm. It's and was uh, w- was
1: was Callum aware of what was going on, particularly with no, the High no, Court?
2: No, no, no. no. Uh, I think that's important. He might yeah. have had a, w- a basic awareness of what was going on. That it was a very stressful time for for everyone to deal with, and there's a huge amount of paperwork involved in that. You have to read every document. Documents have been served on you affidavits, basically from different experts in, in departments, and you're serving you're providing your witnesses and affidavits from the other side, you're reading reports, there's negotiations, mediations, and huge amount of paperwork involved, and you're sitting down with your legal team, and lucky enough, I, I'm a little bit deaf-aware and about education, and you're reading through things, looking for each side is looking for faults in the other person's paperwork, and you're commenting on each other's affidavits, so, no, like, that's oh, that's it. Str- there's it's no a, need it's, for him to know that. Yeah, and, yeah,
1: but, it's, it really is. It's, it's a stressful world. Are you hoping you, now that life can just sort of return to some kind of normality for the Geary family? I mean, is that the yeah, plan?
2: Yeah, yeah. well, I hope, uh, like I have to go and give a presentation at the Oireachtas at the end of the month. And my hope is, Patricia, that this campaign is over. And I sent you a thank you card a few weeks you ago. Did. Thank you for all you the and it's, all and it's beautiful. ...have given us over many years and the storytellers in our democracy are very, very important. I hope that I can disappear. Uh, I've been on the campaign trail now for almost a decade for deaf children's rights in, in education and I, at the end of that Iroctis report, I hope that Callum will have full access for the next five years of his secondary school. He'll go and do what he does when he when he's finished school and that I can return to being a parent and just doing my 40 hours a week at work and just recharge the soul yeah. recharge the battery and and, and of
1: course of course while this was all about Callum let's not forget um Andrew what you have done uh, and uh, what your family has done on behalf of all of the other and future deaf children, so you've got to be acknowledged and, and a thank you uh, to you and to and to Helen and to all of the family to you know to say well done. What 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 you have done will help future deaf children.
2: I, well, I I would say to that, let's pay it forward. That's thanks to all the teachers I ever had in school. I have a deep belief in education. I had brilliant teachers in Morning Star and Clough Street in Cork City and Lectures in UCC and. My wife had a brilliant education in in, in Hollymount and, and, you know, what is now, you know, MTU. And it, that's, we have to say, it, pay it forward, like only for those people believing me in school and telling me over and over again, Andrew, believe in your country, believe in your democracy, believe in education. And that's the only stuff that kept me going. I looked out for role models. I've had role models, mentors, whether that's in the workplace in, in Gareth Sheecona, Are in my schools and college, the brilliant teachers that I had. And I just looked to them and when the battery was completely empty and said, listen, time to give up, I said, listen, go back, think about that teacher, think about that classroom, think about what you learned there. You have to believe in your country at the end of the day. I always believe in my family. I have a deep love for my family. I have a huge love for my family and country. And that's what made it most difficult. But ultimately... I felt in my heart to heart as Thomas Francis Maher said famously, "Truth will have its day of triumph." And I just prayed to God that one day that truth would be told. And I hope that truth has been told now, and we are another tiny, tiny baby step on our way to being a rights-based republic. Well done. But well but done I, your, your, your. I can't take I can't take the credit. That's that's down to my parents, my wife, my teachers, and people like you and people who believe... That, that's, they're the people who well, have take the credit I,
1: I, I still want to acknowledge. I still want to say well done to you I still want to say thank you to you as I say on behalf of all of the other uh, deaf children and the future deaf children you, you're, you're a credit uh, to our country Andrew it was a real pleasure uh, talking to you and I hope this isn't the last time that we speak by the way and good luck at the uh, Oireachtas uh, committee meeting next uh, month but best wishes to Helen and uh, to all of the family and to the boys
2: thank you so much thanks a million for joining us C103. it's all our right.
1: pleasure bye 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 that is bye. the wonderful um, Andrew Geary from uh, Ballyhooly and yeah it's just so wrong what families are put through in dragging people through the courts for something that is a basic right it was a base it is a basic right for Callum he just happens to be profoundly deaf but a right to an education and the best education the only way he can get the best education is through his first language and his first language is Irish sign language now this day last week a public meeting was held in Kilbehany community Centre. It was organised by the Local Sewerage Action Group who claim a once thriving village is now dying and it's been referred to as the forgotten village all due to a lack of a proper sewerage system. The chairman of that group is Maurice uh, Walsh who once again uh, joins me on the programme. Good morning to Morris.
3: Good morning to you Patricia, how are you doing? I'm very
1: well. Now firstly, was there a good turnout last Friday and did you get local representatives to turn up as well?
3: Absolutely. Listen, the positive news here, the hall was full last Friday. Brilliant. Um, At one stage, look, I said, look, you know, we need the the people to come out and support this, and they did it in their numbers. And not only the people of Kilbane, Patricia, but the farming sector was very very, well represented there last Friday, which meant that it gave me a very strong positivity to stand up in front of all our councillors, both Cork and Limerick and, of course, our politicians as well, the TDs, it was brilliant to see the chairs being full and more extra chairs being brought out at one stage to, to pack in the people into the hall of Kilbeheny village. It just goes to show how how angry and how frustrated the people of the surrounding area of Kilbeheny is because of this serious issue of raw sewage flowing into the river function.
1: Now, I know one, um, I was reading a report from the meeting, I think it was in the Avendu, uh, one local man who, had, who attended, um, Moss Fitzgerald, reckons that the current system is... I's over a hundred years old
3: absolutely and and you can see that actually by where the pipe goes into the river itself. it was built in brick so so that's pre-concrete, pre-whatever you want to call it. That's, yeah, that's well going back in time. But we had a lot, lot of positivity. But Patricia, we we, we we had a lot of uh, disheartening as well. Can can I just tell you really what happened? Um, so the hall was full, and and we opened it to the floor, and people give their views. But the most disturbing news that came out of the whole lot was from a councillor from the County Limerick side of things, and. We believe and we know that, that uh, Darrow O'Brien has a certain amount of millions to allocate to villages and towns. Just the, house, like the housing
1: minister, yeah.
3: Correct, correct. Yeah. Uh, for situations like this. And it turns out, listen to what I say, that Limerick County Council has not even submitted a submission for, for this allocated money for the simple reason is, and you'll fall back in your chair when you hear it, because they, have to, they will have to pay 15% of the cost themselves. So, so,
1: so we can't even point the finger of blame At Dara O'Brien and saying no. Why aren't you giving us the money He's not even aware of it
3: He wasn't even aware of this submission Until this councillor brought it And the reason is Is because Kilbany village Don't have the population of 500 people or more
1: Yeah but, but therein lies the problem If you had a prop, proper wastewater treatment plant More people would move into the village
3: This is what it's all about it, we, Because the, the, the forgotten village Is forgotten once again in County Limerick on the borders of Cork and Limerick and Tipperary. Be, uh, they'd never even submitted it because of the 15%. They're not even willing to pay 15% of the cost. So we're, we're, we're it was very disappointing of to hear that news, but go back to the positivity. Um, in fairness, no, and we'll apologize on the night, by the way, from, from Niall Collins, who we met actually last night, um, sorry, Tuesday night, in the village of Kilbenny, himself and Mike Duggan, another, another councillor. Um, but with fairness to Richard, I don't know who, he stood up and he promised us that th- this will be submitted absolutely straight away. The biggest problem here that we're facing as well, Patricia, you know, and it's kind of... It, Irish Water, or Ishka Airden, as they're known as now, they're being taken over. They're taken over from the councils in June. Mm. So everything is at a standstill, really, at, at the moment, because until they take over. But the the, the problem is, and the, how, how I can express... express we need to get Irish water to the village of Kilbaney to see where the problem is and what's happening there. So we've sent our request to Irish water. Richard know who actually his office called back, contacted me yesterday, as so did Niall Collins, to say that they're setting up a meeting with Irish water to, to get them out to see where the problem is. And, and you see... They're, they're, they're saying that, that it's, it's, not, it's not on their map because... Um, yeah,
1: every time we contact them they, they say that they're only responsible I think there's three properties.
3: That's it. Uh, and and they,
1: they say you know, don't know what you're talking about we don't, we don't deal with the wastewater treatment plant in Kilbenny except for this one on the three properties. That's but right. they, they need to come down and see how badly affected the village is and why they need to put in a proper wastewater treatment plant. is
3: exactly it and I hope to God that someone listening from Irish Water to you, to you this morning and to your programme in County Sound that they need to come out here and, and look and they'll see themselves and I'm telling you as one councillor got into your when and he saw what, what he saw going into the river the other night and he said in 2023 where we see that everybody in the, in the country even in the world have to do their for the environment with their electric cars and their solar panels and you name it and this is blatantly happening in our village now Patricia I'm getting slightly worried here at the moment and, and, and I'll tell you the reason why we had three if not four very frustrated farmers that um, are facing uh, cross-compliance and suspicion with the Department of Agricultural Food. And I hope, and I pray, and I shouldn't probably say this, but I'm going to say it, that it won't get out of hand, that we won't be reading this in the, the Sunday tablets. In, in the newspapers in the next couple of months or whatever that farmers will take it upon themselves to take action and I mean take action as in maybe to have a drive-flow tractor to Dublin to Daly and with their vacuum tanks because they're being penalised to the cross with the new Cap 2020 nitrates and this is happening in our local village so yeah, I, yeah. Ho- I hope And, that there, and from- there is
1: a massive environmental impact from this wastewater going straight into the River Function what was the story that was highlighted about some people not being able to flush the toilet if there's a flood nope. in the river,
3: it will listen to me. And you, I suppose, really, and I suppose it's not a laugh, but we had a good giggle on the night as well, where where one uh, person, um, not from the village, but but really close to it, he said, "You can talk about the environment side of things." He said, and you can talk about the the, the, the human impact it has, and this and that he says, but he said, "I like having my pint." He said in the local pub, and if the river isn't flood, I can use the toilet.
1: That's crazy because if they flush, it'll all come back it'll up. It'll all come back up. To them. And is it true that some houses have seen rats and rodents traveling back up the
3: pipes? They're not, it's hundred percent true. Even. Oh. And, I, and and would you believe, Patricia? It's it's actually one of it's. it's we've got only a few young families in the village. and am glad to have it. but these this is a dear. They have a very young family and um he had to go and spend X amount of of money to to try and stop this kind of a non return valve system so the rodents can't come up lifted his toilet seat a couple of months back and there was rats inside in his toilet ah, it's
1: just not good enough that is just not good like, enough we're
3: we're paying we're paying our property tax and our ho- and and we're paying everything and in 2023, this, this, this is just crazy what's happening.
1: And the village is literally, Morris, at a standstill because no development can take place.
3: Absolutely. And and the problem is, Patricia, as well, and we spoke to one landlord who has an X amount of properties in the village. He can't even sell their properties because you won't get the legal, the solicitors won't sign off on it if you're selling a property um, because of this, this issue. So... it's a massive impact in the village itself not only that we have no football or no houses built in the last 40 or 50 years there, but if you've decided to even rent or sell your properties this can't continue because of the impact that's on the village Okay so the fight continues The fight continues and we're shouting out uh, and again thanks to you and all your listeners and just like your pre uh, speaker there Andrew Geary like we, were, we were believe that this will happen with a basic right that this shouldn't be happening in
1: 2023. Yeah, yeah 100%. 100%. Okay, we'll keep in contact with you, uh, Morris. Thank you for that. Thank you, Patricia. And Thank thanks you. Uh, for joining us. That is uh, Morris Walsh, who is the chairman of the Kilbehony uh, Local Sewerage Action Group and it does seem crazy in 2023 that you can have raw sewage running down through the village and straight into the, uh, to, to the beautiful River Function and to think that you go into a toilet and there might be a danger, you lift up the and there could be a rat looking at you. Let's come back up the pipes. Oh, a lovely, where's that gone, this WhatsApp in saying, Hi Patricia, I was listening to your kindness uh, to uh, Andrew Geary. And isn't it just terrible that the government, what the government have put this family through? So much like all of the other court cases we read about in the papers that we hear about in the news that people have, have been put through. Uh, we have sad, sad leaders of our country that they can allow this to happen best of luck health and happiness to you and to the geary family and all those going through the courts for their basic rights and and that's that, that is the thing particularly with andrew's family and with callum uh, it it was his right we have irish sign language is an official language it's the child's first language And therefore, he needs to be educated through Irish Sign Language, which means having an interpreter in the classroom. And it isn't that there's hundreds of thousands of children that it's going to cost the Department of Education a huge amount of money. There isn't that many profoundly deaf children that go uh, and need um, that that end up in mainstream education that will need an interpreter. But what the family had to go through, yeah, absolutely shocking, absolutely shocking. Uh, They're very brave uh, thank you for your text cork county council they've been back with responses to the two issues we contacted them about on behalf of listeners firstly there was a listener was requiring about the jersey cable car this came in from Barry and Skibbereen was wondering when would the a cable car be up and running I said we did contact them a couple of weeks ago and I'm open to corrections I need to check with John Paul I think this is the same response <laughs> after getting back today anyway they say the final stages of the works are delayed and that was due to adverse weather conditions we had bad weather in February, March and in early April but they say that the core aspects of the contract are now in place and outstanding works to install and tension track ropes and then attach the cable car there in progress at the moment. The structures then, for obvious reasons, will be subjected to vigorous testing and inspection once complete to ensure they function as commissioned. The cable car service then will resume once all this testing has concluded and then following the necessary grant of consent and that has to be given by the Commission of Railway (coughs) Regulations to operate the cable car. So they had hoped, I assume, from that text they had hoped that it was going to be up and running earlier than this but because it was delayed due to the bad weather that we had in February March and early April so we'll keep a close eye and we will let you know when we get an official date still don't have an official date which I think is what Barry and Skibbereen was hoping uh, for uh, but they're they're Working on it, and they're getting very close to having the official date of when the cable car will be back up and running. And then, Alien and Kinsale was asking about Camden Fort in Crosshaven, and when was that going to uh, reopen? So again, we had to get back on to county council, the Cork county council, because they're the custodians of Camden Fort, and they say that they have a duty of care to the asset as the custodians and to all those who work there and visit. They fully recognise the value and the potential of Camden Fort and they're committed to maximising its potential into the future. To that end, a review of operations has recently been undertaken. And once that is all complete, the council would then work to reopen the fort as soon as is practical Uh, in. They'll do it in a safe and obviously in a sustainable uh, managers uh, manner. So there's a review of operations going on. Uh, So, again, don't have a date, which I I take it uh, was what. uh, uh, alien in Kinsale when she contacted us she was looking for a date don't have a date but there again once that review has taken place and as soon as we get a date we will bring it to you oh, 0818 103 oh 103 oh and thanks to Cork County Council for the quick responses on both of those uh, issues and then getting in when I mentioned at the top of the programme that the Late Late Show was back in all the papers today because Claire Byrne taking her hat out of the ring even though she had never put it in the ring I think it was other people who put her hat in the ring she's not interested uh, are in the position she's got a big Busy family life, and she's working hard enough as it is, she doesn't want to take on any extra work, certainly not any extra television work. Uh, So that's leading people now to come up with their own choices on who they think should take over. John Creedon says, Neil, he'd be an excellent choice, and he's ready made for the job. He'd just slot into the seat. Breida thinks uh, Philip Boucher Hayes would be a great candidate he's very cas- charismatic and has all the qualities uh, for it by text fish. I was so disappointed we're losing a wonderful presenter like Ryan Tuberty I don't think The Late Late will ever again be the same but I really hope Angela Scanlan, that some people are mentioning will not get the post her programme is pure trash, according to this texter The Late Late show was always an interesting programme and there are a lot of people who love to sit in and watch it on a Friday night and they love the idea of relaxing people are already looking forward to it tonight after a hard week's work and someone else says New Carey would be great for the job and someone else says Ryan is very pleasant and jolly he will be very, very hard to uh, replace. 0818103103. 103 And then Aoife on to us by text saying that she was shocked to read the conditions that some Ukrainian refugees are living in in this country. Aoife said these poor people are fleeing war. Many of them have left very close family members behind and they fled to a new country and now some of them are being housed in what EFA describes as substandard conditions. Shame on the land. Lords who are allowing this to go ahead and what Aoife is talking about is a summary that has well it's a log of issues that have been released by the Department of Children and Equality and it is revealing how some Ukrainian refugees have been housed in what appears to be in one case an old maintenance room with a constant foul smell Residents there said they couldn't even open the door to air it out because the exit led directly onto a public street There was also a couple of complaints about the infestation of mice while another wrote to complain about how their accommodation was very damp with the heating being hiss and miss. And a summary of one person's letter said construction work has been happening daily on the premises. The management's attitude towards residents is not very nice. It's not very welcoming and they also questioned the hygiene standards are low. Another explained how they were being served rotten food but they were still being forced to pay for it when residents said they weren't willing to continue paying. The management threatened to evict them. And then multiple Ukrainian refugees and children are becoming ill due to the quality of food that they are getting with some complaining of stomach aches and other issues. Now another wrote about unacceptable conditions with residents in tiny rooms and they were only separated by plywood. One entry into this log of complaints said bad living conditions with constant humidity and black mould every where this is causing some residents to become sick and in that particular case they look for a request to be moved. Damp was a problem for another resident who said once the weather became cold the floors were soaked and uh, condensation was getting into the wardrobes where they were storing their clothes. These conditions they say not safe for children and the, the children are often becoming unwell. In another centre Uh, Some of the refugees said the heating was set to come on for just two hours out of nine. And that was leaving some of the older residents and children struggling with the cold. And discussions with the management had not been successful, uh, according to the Department of Children and Equality's records. One refugee said there was a lot of mould and dampness in their accommodation, with 12 people sharing a single toilet and the toilet was at the end of the corridor in another centre housing Ukrainian refugees. Residents say they to queue to use the toilet because there wasn't enough toilets to cater for all of the residents there. A note of their complaint was many people in one room which is not properly ventilated. Some are sick. They also complained that there's no appointments at the local GP and they complained that the premises where they're living is cold. Now the department records uh, records also detail a complaint about how hot water is only available at certain times of the day and even when it is available, it's too hot to be used. Someone has complained that the lift in the resident uh, in where they're living has been broken for three months. Now, the Department of Children and Equality say it couldn't release uh, neither the original complaints records nor could they give out the location of the accommodation to which they, these complaints were referred to. They said they were just releasing a summary to ensure transparency while preserving the complainant's rights to make a complaint to the department and when people are making the complaints they are told they're making it in confidence. So that's why no one's been identified, no names have been identified, or no location where in the country these complaints have come from. Now a spokesperson said the department can Considers all complaints received in relation to the provision of temporary accommodation for Ukrainian rec- refugees and they take the appropriate uh, action. So that's the particular report that Aoife is shocked that we could be allowing people who are fleeing war you know they've They've run for their lives and then some of them are living. Now, you know, we assume that these are just that for the majority of Ukrainian refugees, the accommodation is fine. But these are the ones that we know there has been complaints about. And, you know, Aoife right when she says shame on the landlords, because at the end of the day, all of those people are living in premises where the landlord or the owner of those properties are getting paid. And many would say they're getting well uh, paid. And, you know, refugees arrive in the, in this country should they be expecting good basic living conditions? Nobody's looking for five star hotels. But when somebody is paid to provide this accommodation, then it at least should be up to uh, scratch. And, and just uh, at this summary of the Department of Children and Equality, they did say at the end that the appropriate action was taken. But does that mean that the issues highlighted? By the refugees was sorted and rectified it doesn't say that it just says appropriate action so I don't know wh- when these refugees were able to complain about the various living conditions and what was wrong with it did the department then send out inspectors or something and did it get sorted out it doesn't actually say 0818 103 103 John Paul's taking your calls you can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103
0: 103 See 103 Jobs
1: Easy Living Interiors, they're currently recruiting for a full-time HGV delivery driver. Applicants must hold a valid C-licence, CPC and TACO. number to call is 21 at A full-time office administrator is wanted in Cantor. Now, flexible hours are available and you need to send your CV to info at multisweep.com. A taxi driver is wanted for the silage season. That's in the Mallow area, 086-0655118. And Dohalo Community Food Services, they're based in Newmarket. They're looking for a full-time chef. It's for their busy food centre. CVs please to lynda.oconnor at You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is... C103.
0: Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie.
1: Now, under the Wildlife Act, it is an offence to destroy vegetation on uncultivated land between the 1st of March and the 31st of August, and that comes into play every year. But what does the law mean for gardeners when it comes to trimming or cutting back their hedges? Resident gardener Peter Dowdell joins me and also on the line is Amy Adwin who is uh, an ecologist. Uh, Good morning Peter and good morning Amy. Good morning, Patricia. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm I'm very well and you're both very, very welcome. Now, Peter, to you first, because, you know, we do our weekly slot, our weekly gardening slot. And every single year this comes up. Can a person cut a hedge in their own garden during this period from the 1st of March through to the 31st of August? There was a clarification issued by the government last year.
4: There was. And I mean, yeah, as you say, Trish, it comes up every year and every year I, I advise people not to cut their hedges back during those, <clears throat> excuse me, during those months, because it was always my understanding that it was illegal to do it from March to September because of of wildlife nesting. Now, I knew there were exemptions for local authorities and farmers, which I wasn't overly happy with anyway, myself. <laughs> not that that matters, but um, I understand health and safety concerns, obviously, on the roads. Obviously, that supersedes all. But um, uh yes this clarification which i came across recently i I don't know if if the clarification is new or if it's just clarifying something that we didn't know which says that gardeners because come under horticulture which comes under agriculture which means that we're exempt as well which led me to think so i mean if if gardeners are exempted from this farmers are exempted from this and local authorities exempted from this who is who does it apply to you know and so i'm still giving the advice whether we're exempted or not i think it's i don't think it's good practice to be trimming or cutting back hedges uh, during this time of the year anyway.
1: Okay, so let's bring Amy in on that point to talk about the Wildlife Act, Amy, and why it's so important and why it's so important that we don't cut hedges at this time.
5: Yeah, so the Wildlife Act, as you, as you mentioned at the start of the show, is really our Irish legal protection of species that are of conservation value here. And one way of protecting them under a certain section of the Act is to prohibit the cutting, burning, and destruction of vegetation, as we said, between 1st of March and the 31st of August. However, there is one thing that I would like to highlight that I feel is not really at the forefront of the discussion a lot of the time, is that actually, while there are those exemptions which you went through, there is a different section of the Act, Section 22, where it describes that it is still an offence to willfully destroy or disturb a wild bird on or near a nest site. So this essentially says that whether or not you are exempt, you still cannot disturb or destroy an active bird's nest. So this really means that if you are exempt, you should, as best practice, be doing a bird survey before you cut anyway, Um, because it is still illegal to disturb or destroy a nest if it's present.
1: Yeah but I I know whenever we discuss it here in the program Amy we will inevitably get some maybe some farmers some landowners or even some gardeners say oh birds will never nest in a hedge by the road that it's 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 ones that are further in you know in inside in a field that you'll never get a nest on a hedge by the road would you disagree
5: yes i would disagree i think i think any hedge that has you know is is well mature and well overgrown, would be suitable for nesting. And I have come across many instances in which birds have been nesting on an extremely busy roadside. So I wouldn't say that that is necessarily true at all, actually.
1: And what talk to me there for about the importance of hedgerows.
2: So,
5: I mean, in the context of Ireland, we have a generally low cover of native woodland as it is. So that means that our hedgerows, which are present throughout the country and connect all of our landscapes, are relied on much more heavily by all of our wildlife. And this is not just to mention birds. It includes bats, invertebrates, our pollinators and small mammals. So while they depend on them for nesting, as we're discussing, they also depend on it for connectivity, for protection, shelter and many other things as well, as well as food, you know. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, and, and I was reading, I mean, just I think the, the last figures I could find was in 2021 that the National Parks and Wildlife Service, they took 40 prosecution cases. Uh, so land, landowners need to be careful. You will get prosecuted if you decide to cut a hedge during this banned season.
5: Yeah, like you, you really do have to, to, to prove why it is exempt and why it, it is necessary. It's not just to cover anybody who, who falls under that exemption, regardless of the need of it. And, and they do prosecute and people do report every year because, it, you know, it, it is still a legal issue. It is an offence in certain circumstances. And like I said, if no bird survey has been conducted, even if you are exempt and you do destroy a bird's nest, then that's still an offence.
1: Yeah, so your advice, uh, Peter, regardless of of this exemption that you've discovered in the Wildlife Act, your advice is going to continue to be when every Wednesday when we get calls in saying, "Can I can I cut back my hedge?" You will be saying
4: no. I, absolutely, I will give, give that advice. <clears throat> I'm I'm not a legal expert and I'm not an ecologist, which is why I'm so glad that, that Amy's here to to help us. But uh, I will certainly be saying no. I mean, the hedgerows are wild hedgerows, as Amy describes them. They're like you know you you could we're witnessing as we know such an alarming rate of species extinction we have to pay attention and be cognizant of what we can do to to slow it our hedgerows are like you know super highways for biodiversity not just for fauna but also flora and if you if you remove some of the, the fauna, the, the, the animals and the insects from it, then the, the flora suffers as well. So we just need to, to start paying attention. And in our own gardens, it's staggering. I remember reading a report several years ago uh, and I'm not going to quote it because I can't remember who it was written by and I can't remember the exact numbers. But the the amount of wildlife that is found in our domestic gardens, like in other words, proportionately to the whole country, is staggering. I mean, it's well over 50 percent of the wildlife to be found is found in domestic gardens. So that's our hedgerows, our trees, little hedgehogs hiding under our bushes and things like this. So we really have to be careful to mind these, 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 these places, what should be places of refuge. So my advice certainly will be to 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 keep not cutting back during during this time of the year.
1: And Amy, I take it you would agree on the on the importance of the domestic gardens for our wildlife.
5: Yes, of of course. Yeah. And and as well as our wild spaces we continue to be developed, they're relied on even more heavily. And, you know, while while we may own our gardens and enjoy spending time in them, our gardens are not just for us. There are many other things that utilize them and, and rely on them. So um my view would be that the more that we leave to nature, the better it is for all of us really.
1: Yeah, and I was reading this morning, and I was kind of thinking of you. The two guys coming on the program today. I was reading in the paper. There's a report out. It's from the European Commission's Joint Research uh, Centre, and they were looking at wildfires right across. Uh, Europe for uh, last year and it was uh, 3,400 hectares of land was damaged by wildfires in this country uncontrolled uh, fires and we had a total of 31 wildfires linked to damage um, of protected habitats. Uh, Amy that's, that's something we have to work on in this country wildfires.
5: Yeah it's, it's a huge problem and it's as you said it's increasing every year and it's affecting a lot of our habitat I mean even just Killarney National Park in the last two years has suffered greatly from this. Um, it is something we need to get under control. We need to be better at. But I will say that I do think the enforcement of these laws is really dependent on funding for the National Parks and Wildlife Service and all of that to keep this running. You know, We, we need a lot more funding than we have now to be able to ensure that these things don't happen and get controlled much more efficiently.
1: And of course, we know the season for wildfires in Ireland in March and April. Of course, it comes in just before this ban kicks in. And, and it's, it, it's, the, this, it's the practice of this illegal agricultural burning, particularly of gorse and heather in the upland areas. We need to find another way of doing it.
5: Of course, of course. And, and not to mention, you know, we've been talking about birds nesting in hedgerows, but one of the the birds... The, the types of birds that are most at risk are actually ground nesting birds and they would would start their nests in March and, and they'd be burned. Their eggs would be burned and it happens it happens all across this country and you know, even really rare and protected birds like the hen harrier and stuff like that, they're they're really struggling. And this is it's
6: really not
1: helping. OK, we all have a role to play, even in our own little domestic garden. Um, Amy, listen, a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you for that, Peter. We'll speak with you again next Wednesday
4: look forward to it. Thanks, Trish. And
1: thanks a million to both of you. Uh, Good morning. Bye bye. That is Amy uh, Adwin, who's an ecologist and our own Peter Dowdell. And I actually spotted somebody or Peter's voice and sent in a gardening question. I'll I'll hold off on that gardening question and uh, we'll put it to Peter next uh, Wednesday. The weekend is finally upon us for this year's Darkness into Light, the annual fundraising event organised by Pieta House to preview this year's walks. I'm joined by John Mansworth, who's one of Pieta's community fundraising executives executives. Good morning to you, John.
7: Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm
1: very well and you're welcome to the programme. Do you know how many locations are going to be staging events at this uh, this year nationwide?
7: Nationwide? Um, but, but there's nationwide, then you've a few abroad, so you probably about 200 venues and you've 23 of them in Cork.
1: Yeah, it's incredible the way it's gone overseas as well, isn't it?
7: Brilliant. It's, it's absolutely fantastic where they're going overseas. Um, it's just a, a lot of expats taken up on the the concept of the walk and the kind of what the what the walk is for really
1: and twenty three here in Cork that's is that a that's a huge number isn't it
7: it is it's a, it's a huge number it just shows how many communities want to participate in the walk And um, everybody everybody seems to want to want to have a part of this because it's such a good cause
1: and I and each individual area then that organises the walk are, are you very much dependent then on local committees. And they organise the different events. Is, is that how it operates? Yep.
7: it's all local committees down here. We I have a committee down here, about 15 or 16 dedicated people. We're at this. We were planning this since about last October. And it's just, it gets, again, it's like a wedding. There's only so much you can, you can do until the day itself. So we're all busy working away today. and out just to get everything prepared for the crowd tonight.
1: Yeah, you're. I should have mentioned at the outset. You're you're involved in 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 the Cove uh, one, but of course these events they're all about. Uh, you know, one of the main things is is to raise funds uh, for Pieta. I mean, Pieta just year on year seemed to get busier and busier, and in the, and the need for the services, John.
7: It's yeah. It, it just it just seems to grow, and I think that's. That's kind of testament to Pieta and the kind of that's the standard and level of service that they're providing. I think one of the most important aspects that people need to understand is that it's it can be self-referral. Like if you need to go anywhere else, you need a GP referral to get into most other places. But with GP, you can be refer, you can refer yourself, or you can get a friend to do it or a family member, which makes it that much easier to do.
1: Yeah, and and of course darkness into light as well. It gets us to talk about Pieta, doesn't it? And and the work that they do, and the need to talk about suicide.
7: Well, I'm I, I'm also in charge of a group in you, you might have heard of Cop Breaking the Silence, and we provide them um, suicide intervention and prevention training. And we have since Peter has come to Cork, it's just been a godsend for us because we were training people to intervene with people, and we were doing interventions ourselves, and we had we we're struggling to get people seen. I never said that. December 2013, Peter opened in Cork. And ever since it opened, it's just transformed where we can send people because it's just it's it's such a kind of engaging service. It's such a personal service with Pieta. The frontline services are just they're, they're, these people are outstanding in what they do, in every shape or form. Uh,
1: it, and, it, they, and, they and tell me a bit about that group breaking breaking the silence. How long are you? How long is that group up and running?
7: We're about fifteen or sixteen years now with the stage up and running.
1: And, and so how we, do you yeah. do? How do you do interventions? How does it
7: work we could be we could be contacted by a concerned family member we could be contacted by someone who's concerned about their own mental health and we we'll, we will go because we've all we've all done what's called assist training which applied suicide intervention skills training we will go then it's it's first aid for suicide so then we we then have to link the person with an appropriate resource and if someone has suicide radiation pa is the most appropriate resource for them anywhere so yeah. that, that, that that's how that operates
1: and we know uh, unfortunately during the pandemic, uh, John, a lot of people's mental health was affected. People who, who never you know, who would openly have said that they'd never suffered from mental health issues, but I think it was the isolation of the pandemic affected so many people?
7: I think you human, would humans by nature are kind of social creatures and that and they, they they like people kind of thrive on most people thrive on interaction and going to work, going to your sports. Even going over for a cup of coffee, meeting a couple of friends—these type of things. But when that was all taken away, that was that, that. It just changed the the dynamic completely, and that's what kind of had a big impact on people's mental health. The lack of interaction with other people played a big part in it.
1: Yeah, and that's why, as you say, PA is there. You you don't need to. You don't need a doctor. You don't need if you just feel you need to talk to somebody. One hundred we, we we've
7: had people who've gone through the service, and they've just. It's it's a very kind of, client focused. It's very it's a very human approach to dealing with people's problems, um, and they, they they treat them with the, in the best possible way. We, we I've had numerous people go through the Pieta system, they have come out the other side, and they're just they're kind of they're they're much better for
1: it. So, do you think lives have been saved because of Pieta? One
7: hundred and ten percent. I couldn't state the value of Pieta. But we, we talk about Peter Cork because we're, 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 we're yeah. in Cork I yeah. could not I could not understate how many lives they have probably saved since they opened
1: it's incredible it's incredible now as I mentioned you uh, you're hands on involved with the, with the Cove event uh, when, when, when you turn up tonight small hours of, of uh, um, tomorrow morning uh, John will you see a lot of the same faces people who turn up every single year
7: you do, but what we're finding is, um, we this year we've got massive interaction from some of the schools in Cove. Um, like last weekend, St Mary's Girls Primary School did a kind of, uh, kind of wear yellow for the day, um, and they brought a two-year donation in for Pieta from all the kids. St Joseph's Primary Boys School did a pajama day for Pieta. Um, these type of things. So the, the schools are starting. The schools are starting to engage. Not as well as we'd like, but because we'd like all of them, but they're starting to engage. But we do see a massive amount of young people at the walk, which I think is brilliant because the younger they learn about, they, they, they kind of learn about these services and have these discussions around mental health, the better for everybody. Because as you know, for years, mental health was never discussed.
1: Yeah. Suicide
7: yeah. was never discussed. But I think when I see kids in primary school kind of promoting it, 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 it it's bringing it to, it, it just, it's bringing it to a, new, a new level for me with this, with, with seeing them coming at, at that type of age.
1: Yeah. And of course, also uh, Pieta offer help and assistance to those who are bereaved by uh, suicide. And I know it's a story I've told uh, before, but it's it's worth mentioning again. It was a number of years ago at one of the Pieta darkness into light walks uh, here in Mallow. I had a family member who was uh, taking part and, you know, the start of the walk just, you know, fell into step with this other woman and they ended up, just, you know, chatting as the the walk began. And this woman started to share her story, how she had lost her son uh, through suicide. And, you know, my family member walked the whole way, just letting this woman talk. And they said, when they got yep. to the end of the walk, the woman, you know, the woman thanked her for listening and then just disappeared into the crowd. And she said she never got to interact with her again. But it, it struck me that at an event like this, that's where somebody can feel comfortable to talk to somebody, a complete stranger, but just to share yep. just to share their story.
7: We find the most powerful part of the walk is is at the end where people kind of stand around afterwards for having a cup of tea and talking. And that's where people really come out and start and start talking at the very end. Um sharing their stories and people we've we've people who'll be on the walk now who've lost someone, who've lost someone to suicide. Um, they, they, they'll be there, and there's, there's a bit of there's good kind of it's very therapeutic for people
1: mm, yeah. to come
7: out. And, and, and for some people who come out, really, they're, they're, they're not alone in this, and they, 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 they can find people who maybe lost someone themselves
1: yeah, yeah. and
7: families. They end up, they end up talking to each other.
1: But just to say to people, if you have been bereaved by suicide, Pieta is there for you uh, as well. I heard your doorbell ring. Did you answer it? You did.
7: That was a box of Darkness and Delight t-shirts. I, I, I,
1: was, I was just about to say, is that something to do with the Darkness and Delight? OK, they've been delivered. They've been delivered. That's the most important thing. And the other thing...
7: They've been delivered, so we're, we're yeah. sorted now okay.
1: anyway. The other thing is important uh, to point out why the fundraising side of this and, and you know, that's, uh, it, is, it is about raising money for uh, Pieta. Did I read somewhere that 80% of the of the money that's used to keep Pieta going is fundraised money is it as high as 80% it's it,
7: it, it's 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 80% it's a lot of money um, like i i think Pieta are run extremely efficiently as an organization um I would like without getting into kind of slagging people off. Like if we were to have a government-run operation doing the same thing, I'd say we would probably have a budget four or five times the size minimum. I think it's run highly efficiently, um, and like I said all it's done very streamlined and without affecting the service. So, like what their the overall annual budget for the for the whole organisation is very small compared to a lot of kind of government bodies would have. Yeah, and I think. Like maybe they should get more money because there's a lot of pressure to raise that eighty percent every year on the organization. Um, which kind of I, I think those resources could possibly be better kind of spent elsewhere for them yeah. if there was, because it's not huge money in comparison to certain things what it costs to run Pieta on an annual basis and I think that I, I think there should be more government funding for them whether they want it I don't know but I think there should be
1: I think a lot of, a lot of people would, would agree with you on that one uh, John because as you said earlier it has do, it, it has it does and it will into the future save lives there are people alive today some possibly listening to us chatting all because of uh, Pieta can people still register uh, John or is registration closed?
7: They can still register. Can um if, if people were going to register, they won't they, they won't get their t shirts in time now because it's they have to walk and yeah. I, I know I've just got a delivery. Okay, up in there. you don't you don't have
1: to have the t shirts, you don't have to have the t shirts. But you can still but register. A lot of
7: people, but, but, but people have t shirts and awards. because I know people we, we we've had the walk and now this is our seventh year. I know people who have said who have seven t shirts over the stage. But a lot of people this year have been coming up to saying we want to register, we don't want the t shirts. Yeah, I have I
1: have last. And year's, which,
7: which, wear which, last which, year's. which which, which is which is good. Yeah. And that's great. It's it 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 it, because it is all about the yellow tonight, the t shirt coming out to say like we're hoping to have a, a massive crowd in Cove here tonight. And like we, there's a lot of work going into kind of setting the tone out tonight now when the tone always looks beautiful on the night. Like big credit to Cove Tidy Towns as well for the, the work they do when they they even partner with us on the night to make sure once our walk is finished. There's no sign of our walk. At six AM tomorrow morning there'll be no sign that the walk actually happening goes. That's
1: incredible. That's that really, so really a, is incredible. There's a huge
7: community huge community spread I was down the town a while ago and practically every shop front in along the waterfront has their window have their windows done up, which is a credit to the town as well that everyone's getting in behind us. It. It's a massive community effort.
1: So the the final touch has been placed today. Would you go to bed tonight?
7: No, I, we, I we, 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 start, we, we, we normally get to bed about eight o'clock on Saturday morning. OK,
1: all right. A it's
7: yeah. So we, we, we'll be fine. We're used to it now at this stage. And it, 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 it's actually, it, it's very good. There's always a good vibe with the committee out in out, out the middle of the night. We use the Cove Heritage Centre as our base um, for the night. So they kindly give us themselves, in Kilkenny Shop kind of give us the, the, the venue every year and stuff like that. So it's it, we've a beautiful venue, which kind of starts in the waterfront and ends around, coming around the cathedral the cathedral put out a big massive kind of fire at the front and um down, down along the waterfront again it's it's a spectacular venue for the walk. It really right. kind of the cove really lends itself to the to the
1: walk it's such a pretty town it's just perfect for it and then as the darkness and then the day breaks and you're into the you're into the light listen dark- so if you want to come down if you yeah. want to
7: come down next year, you're more than I, I, sure. I,
1: you know I might just consider that at darknessintolight.ie there is still time if you would like to uh, register and as John mentioned there are 23 uh, locations here in Cork Balancholic Ballyvorney Bandon Bantry Blarney Castleton Bear Clonakilty, Cove that we've just been speaking about Drina Dumanway Formoy Inchigila Cantor, Kinsale, Macroom Mallow, Middleton, Mitchellstown Mitchellstown, Skull, Shirken Island, Skibbereen, UCC and Yall no matter where you are across Cork City or County you are very close to a darkness into light uh, walk. John we wish you the best of luck with the walk uh, tonight and to everybody taking part but thank you for taking time out to talk to us today
7: uh, thanks a million, Patricia. And hopefully we'll talk to you again next year at some point anyway. Please
1: God. Please God. Thanks a million. Bye bye. Bye bye. That Bye-bye. is uh, John Mansworth who is Pieta's community fundraising executive in Cove. Good luck to everybody taking part. We're talking about the darkness into light and I was reading out the 23 areas where darkness into light walks are going to be happening uh, tonight, um, tomorrow morning into the early hours of Saturday morning. Somebody has said, Patricia, Castlehaven Union Hall for Roiga are holding a darkness into walk light in the AM, leaving Castlehaven GEA grounds at 5am and they hope to finish at Knock Drum Fort overlooking Castletown's Harbour. So there's one that wasn't on our list. Thank you for that. And somebody uh, I'm assuming Mary is going to the Darkness Into Light walk in Mallow and is wondering, Patricia, will food capers be open tomorrow morning for the cuppa after the walk for the cup of coffee? They normally do. I don't know if there's anybody involved with Darkness Into Light in the Mallow area. Are food capers planning on opening? They normally do. I I, I know they have done in the past. If anybody can let us know, please. uh, Mary's worried about her coffee at the end of the walk and a cup of coffee or a cup of tea at the end of that walk would be great. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. Now just on other issues coming in, Michael, uh, this came in um, earlier on and it was something actually I was following online yesterday and it's, um, Michael writes, it's great to learn, there's a very promising new drug which is showing indications that it can slow Alzheimer's disease and the test results by two companies so far have reached very similar promising results. Michael says today modern medicine is keeping people alive longer but dementia and Alzheimer's is of course an ageing disease and will grow more rapidly with an ageing population and of course it will come with a cost at the moment. The cost for carers and sufferers is currently costing around £1.5 a year to treat so we need the breakthroughs as soon as possible. Michael says, "Hopefully, this new breakthrough will be a very welcoming uh, turning point." Yeah, and I was reading up about it yesterday, and it's been described as um, the the first. We're on the cusp of the first generation of treatments for Alzheimer's disease, and it's the first one in the world uh, with this new drug. For and it's 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 been found to slow cognitive and functional decline and early results uh, I know one of the drugs Michael speaks about too but one of the drugs that has been made by the drug company Eli Lilly of course which has a base here in uh, Ireland it has showed that their drug reduces the rate of cognitive decline of Alzheimer patients in a trial by anything between twenty seven and thirty five percent. I mean that, that. Yeah, and you know th- this is the start of this generation of treatments for Alzheimer's disease, and it is so so uh, welcome. God bless all the scientists, and the research people that work on those breakthrough uh, breakthrough drugs. Uh, long may they continue. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. I had been talking about the late late earlier when I mentioned the Claire Byrne has ruled herself out. What well, a very funny tweet has gone up this morning from Sarah McInerney because she's the other RTE presenter who's been named now and of course as soon as Claire Byrne said no, I'm not interested suddenly money was moving to Sarah McInerney. Well, Sarah McInerney has tweeted today I'd like to confirm I'm not taking over the Late Late Show from either Ryan Topperty or James Corden so she's ruling out going stateside as well. Though she says the prospect of grilling young children over their toy choices every December would be enticing I've let our team management know a couple of weeks ago I won't be throwing my hat into the ring. There's an election coming maybe next year. Prime time and drive time will be at the centre of the coverage like all political nerds. I can't wait. And she to say "The Ron right. Tuberty's done an exceptional job and uh, she'll miss him on Friday night. So there's another one at their just they're dropping like flies is there anybody left that actually wants this job at this station maybe that's what RT need to do Then he to start asking who wants the job 0818 103 103 Hi Patricia I'd like to highlight the state of a road on the Beira Peninsula especially a, stre- a stretch from Ross McKeown it's absolutely shocking the amount of HGVs that have to travel on that particular stretch of road from Castleton Bear this obviously is related to the fishing industry and nothing's been done to these roads for years maybe you could highlight this to Cork County Council we all talk about cruise liners visiting Bearhaven Harbour it seems to be the safest way to visit at the moment thanks love your show kind regards uh, Michael and and only this week Michael and I don't know if that's what prompted your text we've been talking about roads and the conditions of roads with our own council engineers saying they're doing their best but their hands are tied because the funding isn't there we're totally underfunded when it comes to looking after roads particularly roads in Rural Areas. 0818 103 103. I mentioned refugees and the uh, Department of Children and Equality showing and highlighting some of the complaints that have come in from uh, refugees and we know we have a problem housing refugees at the moment. Well Bill and has a suggestion. He says all along the West Coast there are thousands of mobile homes he says lying idle. Many of these mobile homes are close to all of the amenities. Could the powers that be not put a package in place for those who are not using their mobile homes all of the time that they might actually offer them? They could be used to house refugees. It would give a little bit of respite until the current situation gets sorted. And now now he's saying that, you know, it won't work for everyone, but he says there are people who don't even use their mobile homes on the weekend. He said he spoke to one mobile home site operator who says there's at least seven mobile homes in his particular park that is sitting sitting idle and nobody visits it. And he says if you look at County Cork, County Kerry, County Clare, County Galway, there are a number of caravan parks and mobile home uh, sites around the country parks around the country and could we look at maybe moving some asylum seekers there. Listen, anything that can solve the problem that we have at the moment and particularly when we have this 580 international protection, they're not, they're not Ukrainians, They're people who are coming here trying, claiming, trying to claim asylum. Some would be successful, but some, of course, will not. But we know we have up to some day earlier this week, there was 580 of them that the government wasn't able to give accommodation to and they're sleeping rough, they're on the the streets and of course we know a case an Afghan teenager took a case and the Our government have been found in breach of the rules and regulations governing the EU and governing the UN on how we have to look after asylum seekers. And there could be huge compensation claims from this particular, this one teenager and all of the other asylum seekers who haven't been, who can't get accommodation when they arrive here. So, yeah, and I imagine they're scrambling in all of the various government departments trying to find solutions as quick as they can. Now, we discussed the Wildlife Act uh, earlier with Peter and with Amy, an ecologist, and how important the Wildlife Act is. James is in Cloyne and James actually works as a gardening Contractor, and he said he was. All, he always cuts hedges in households during uh, the season. He said the reason for it is people are contracting him to do it because they want their gardens to look uh, look really nice for the summer season. But he said he also has been cutting hedges on road sides. But he said after listening to both Peter and Amy the ecologist, he says I, I might reconsider cutting them uh, again. He said I'm due to go back cutting uh, hedges. Well, I think. I think, you know, the point that Peter was making under the under the act, there is an exemption for gardens, but you just as Amy says, you'd be better off if you could leave it uncut for now. But you need to do a cheat called a bird survey. You need to look in the hedge and make sure that nobody is nesting before you get out and start cutting it. Because Tommy in Dunham says surely it's better to have roads safer for traffic rather than drivers constantly swerving to avoid branches. And that can and does lead to serious accidents. I think safety must be come first uh, regardless of what effect it's having on wildlife and if it's a safety issue hedges should be cut all year round well under the Wildlife Act if it is if it is a potential hazard or it is a road safety issue then yes you are allowed to cut the hedges Tom and Bantry said swallows nest in the back end of his house every year so yeah not all birds nest in hedges absolutely but he says he hasn't seen them yet and they're the same when swallows nest in your house, it's the same family of swallows, isn't it? I love the idea that they come back uh, every year. We have had reports of some people already seeing the swallows, but they're only starting to come back at times. So there's still time for them to arrive. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. John Paul continues to take your cause on the rent a room scheme that we spoke about earlier on this week because we heard from uh, the government that there's to be a new plan in place that will allow people who are living in a local authority, a house, they will be allowed to earn rental income if they have a spare bedroom in their house and it won't affect the amount of rent that they pay and it won't affect if they're on a social welfare payment, if they're, if they're on a medical card. Well, I read in the Irish Daily Mail today that a row has broken out among some Fine Gael TDs over this notion of allowing council tenants, they could earn up to €14,000 a year by renting a room in their house. Now, the, the thought plan behind this, the government stated earlier on in the week that it hopes it could free up about 28000 now, they're saying 28,000 homes, but what, what they mean is 28,000 rooms, which means 28,000 people technically could be housed if a lot of people go for this particular scheme. However, some members of Fine Gael are raising concerns about the move and seemingly, according to the Mail, this came up at the parliamentary party meeting earlier this week. Emer Higgins, she's a first time TD, she confirmed that she raised the matter at the meeting. Speaking to the Irish Daily Mail, she said, I think the rent a room scheme is fantastic, particularly when you have an older person or houses that are underoccupied. And she said, I do want to see it extended. But she said, we need to be careful when we are considering the eligibility criteria for the social housing tenants now the government say that there are 140000 council homes around the country and they reckon somewhere between fourteen thousand and twenty-eight thousand are what they say are underoccupied. That might be a single person living they may be a widow, a widower living in a three bedroom house. It could be a couple who are living in a three bedroom house. They're only sleeping in one room, so there's two spare bedrooms. So they reckon somewhere between fourteen thousand and twenty-eight thousand and in local authority, and they are the homes that they are targeting. Now one T D pointed out that some councils have not been able to collect the rent that is owed to them, by the council tenant and that it would not be fair and it would be a bit of a slap in the teeth to the council if that same person then will be allowed to rent out a room and that person will be allowed to earn up to €14,000 a year tax-free and yet they're not paying their rent to at the council. So one person is saying if you're going to do it it has to be done in a fair way as possible. It's understood that members of the Fianna Gael Parliamentary Party spoke out against the, the scheme there was those for, there was those uh, against but there was no widespread agreement about the various uh, remarks. With a loud TD, Fergus O'Dowd said that he had strongly argued in favour of the extension of the scheme. His point was, if council houses are under-occupied, then it is a great quick fix and it should go ahead. However, he says there has been long mooted tax breaks for landlords. They've never materialised. And now he said we're going to turn some people, some council tenants into landlords and they're going to be getting very generous tax breaks because they'll be allowed to earn the 14000 and not have to pay tax. So you can see how landlords who are always claiming, and we've heard from some of them on this programme, that half of what they take in in rent goes back to the tax man. So they are going to be really, really annoyed about it. Now both the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar and Kieran O'Donnell, Kieran is the junior housing minister, said details of the scheme have not yet been fully worked out and that they will take all of those concerns into consideration when drafting the eligibility criteria of the bill. And they do point out if you are in rent arrears then this scheme you shouldn't be eligible for it. Another member of the parliamentary party said there was concern about the fairness of the scheme with some tenants paying as little as 50 euro a week in rent when their neighbour who could own their property and is paying a huge mortgage would be paying much more. And I saw that Danny Healy-Ray, independent at TD for uh, Kerry, he was speaking on Radio Kerry uh, yesterday. He also criticised the scheme. He said they are trying schemes like this with no input or back ground work with councils. He said it shows to me that they're not in the races at all. He said there's going to be a lot of work involved in order to get this scheme up and running and who's going to operate the scheme which is something I hadn't thought about Daddy Healy Ray is probably right. I'm assuming they're going to have to bounce it back to the local authorities in in each of the different areas for them to operate the schemes but there's going to have to be a lot of eyes dotted and a lot of tees crossed. I mean I do think I do particularly think that point about if somebody is in arrears in their rent then it it is galling to think they would be out uh, to earn money but you are going to see landlords are going to start kicking off in the private rental market saying well how come somebody in a local authority can rent a room and get 14,000 tax free and yet I've got to hand over so much of the money I'm making in rent has got to go to the tax man and I know when we started talking about this earlier on in the week when it first got mooted we had a number of people uh, contact us saying that it was very, very unfair on people who work really, really hard or who have have a house full because they've got an adult child who can't leave because they can't afford to rent and yet suddenly other people who've just happened to have an empty net will be able to make money. So there's a lot of division out there over this uh, issue. 0818 103, 103 John Paul's taking your calls. Text, WhatsApp's available Oh eight six two. 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary
0: With Cork County Council where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie Now
1: a reminder to you that bingo is cancelled tonight in Inchigeela that's due to a local bereavement and due to circumstances beyond his control John Kenny has unfortunately had to cancel his show in Kildallery that was due to be held tonight now a full refund is available from all ticket holders at the point of uh, purchase Social Dancing in the Marion Hall in Ballonhasic is on tonight Dancing from 9 to 12 midnight Music by Peter Burke Admission 10 euro Bingo is on in Mallow GAA Complex Complex The Jackpot 4,200 euro and it'll start at 8.15 Kildallery Bingo is also on tonight 8 o'clock in the store at the Creamery Yard their Jackpot is 1,650 and Clonakilty celebrated its 400th birthday 10 years ago on the 5th of May 2013 now 10 years on a social gathering will be held in O'Donovan's Hotel in Clonakilty tonight at half past 8 where the celebrations will be shown on the big screen and all are welcome. And I've had a text in asking to announce that dancing this Sunday afternoon in Theo Park to the music of the singing Jarvie. It starts at 3 o'clock on Sunday afternoon.
0: Court Today on C103 With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm life and health insurance. C-M-I-G dot I-E
1: Now US Army veteran Don Graves celebrated his 98th Birthday last Wednesday, and it was always his wish to spend at least one of his birthdays here in Ireland. So he arrived into Ireland last weekend. He's a huge fan of Irish music, and he sang parts of When Irish Eyes Are Smiling and Sweet Sixteen. And this all took place at a little party for him at the White House in Kinsale, obviously very aptly named for an American to celebrate his birthday. And the the reason that this story all came to light was he took Part in a podcast called Last Letters. And they discovered that this 98 year old man had a kind of a bucket list to come to Ireland. So they set up a GoFundMe page to bring Don Graves who is a World War II Iwo Jima veteran and he's probably one of the last Iwo Jima veterans uh, left. So they set up the GoFundMe page, covered the cost of it and travelled with him uh, to Ireland. So the crew, they, they visited places like Ugambara, they took him to Collins Barracks and our reporter Mairead Tuig managed to spend some time with Don while he was in Ireland but particularly when he was in Kinsale and she was asking him about about his love of Irish music and we've a lovely little piece here my thanks to Morita and to John Paul who put this together where Don begins with a bar of a song
6: When Irish eyes are smiling show sure it's like a morning spring and your little with laughter You can hear the angels sing
1: Enjoying your birthday so far?
6: This has all been a surprise.
8: Why it was your birthday wish to come to Cork for your 90th? To Ireland? Yeah, to Ireland. Yeah. My
6: my grandma Vilman, that's her married name. She was all Irish, and if you don't believe it, I got the Shillady many times. Oh, she'd say, "You little rascal, I'll get you if it takes. I'll catch you and I'll get you." And I'd laugh.
8: Uh, tell me about the
1: last few days. You were in, I... were you in Gugon Barra? yesterday
6: oh it was beautiful it was just gorgeous yeah i went to a, a saint dominic's in detroit and then something happened i came home and you know in those days the priests not the priest but the but the nuns they were firm they didn't put up with anything and i kind of carried on you know and she got her hand under my arm here she bruised it with nails and so when I came home, I said, I, that hurts. She said, let me see that. I said, where'd you get that? And I told her, she went to the priest, and she lit into him, and they had a spat. We never went back to the Catholic church, never went back. And so you see, I I knew nothing about any church, but I had, I pastored churches for 29, 30 years. Yes. Yep, I had a good life. Uh. Ninety-eight years old today. How come I don't feel any different? (laughs) Yeah. What
5: What's the secret? What's the secret? I
6: don't know, but I could. All my family are gone. They've been gone for quite a while. All of my all my cousins are all gone. Well, you know, it was we had an Irish background, of course. they drank a lot of beer? They had beer parties, and they made a lot of stuff. And I never drank, but I saw it all. And when I went in the Marine Corps, I never drank, but they taught me how to drink. Now, today, young fellows that are in the military, in the Marine Corps, you have to be 21. You can go through a battle, come back to the States, you still have to be 21. Well, when I came home, I was 20, and my dad took me to Johnny something down the corner and he said, so you were in the Marine Corps. What would you do? And I told him, I said, he said, how old are you, son? I said, 20. He said, do you drink? I said, yes, sir. What do you like? He said, I'm serving you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, you know, when you were told you were coming to Ireland, what, like, was it a big surprise when you heard? Yes,
6: it was. I, I, you know, when I saw The Quiet Man with John Wayne and Marina O'Hara, it just. Well, I'm sure they took a lot of scenes here. And it, it just brought it all back, where she was dragged through the fields. <laughs> she was tough. <laughs> it was, and I'll never forget the final scene. They have their big fight. Biggest fight Hollywood ever recorded. That's John Ford. He knew what he was doing. Well, he, he and Vic McLaughlin, they finally made up, and they wound up in a pub. And they were coming home, and she was fixing supper. And they got their arms around and they're singing, and they walked in the house, and McLachlan stands up, and he takes his hat off. God bless everybody in this house. (laughs) I was a fan of Ben Crosby. Well, he's Irish. And he did a lot of Irish songs. And then Morton Downey, I followed him. And I learned the Ivory songs, you know. But then I began to watch Nelson Eddy and Jeanette McDonald. And oh, I fell in love with those two. And I styled after Nelson Eddy. I do a, a lot of his songs, yes. Yeah. And, of course, they're both gone. But I like to sing good songs. I'm not a jazz singer. I'm not a rapper. <laughs> not a, but they, they wanted me to do it. And he's, he's, quite a, he's quite a rapper. He's right up there. And I thought he did a good job. It was brilliant. But, but I don't want them to get the idea that I'm a rapper. I can't stand <laughs> it.
0: <laughs> but you're a fantastic singer, and happy
1: birthday. And thank you for chatting, Oh,
6: you're birthday. welcome. Since first I saw you on the village green yes. Come, Come
0: to me, me.
6: Yeah.
0: Ere my dreams
6: yeah. of love is oh. all Thank you.
1: Uh, Isn't that such a lovely lovely uh, piece and my thanks to Mairead Tuigar news reporter who went out to chat to Don and for John Paul for putting that piece uh, together and once again happy birthday to Don Graves who on Wednesday celebrated his 98th birthday here in Ireland Uh, yet something else off his bucket list. I think they're flying home I think it's today or uh, tomorrow he's had a wonderful week here in Ireland but especially here with us here in uh, Cork but incredible uh, to think He's probably one of the last surviving um, members of that World War Two Iwo Jima. a battle is uh, so many Americans and so many Japanese Japanese lost their lives uh, during that particular battle. Anyway, happy birthday to uh, Don and thanks for taking time out uh, to talk to Maraid. I did, did the community diary. Somebody just wants to, uh, to mention didn't get it in in time that there's social dancing going on in the CYMS hall in Newmarket uh, tonight. Music is by Mike uh, Condom and the message is it's a great place to catch up with old friends, but it's also a great place to meet new friends. A great social gathering. That's the CYMS. Hall in Newmarket. 0818 103, 103 Let's take a break. John Paul's taking your uh, calls, and we'll be back after these talking movies with Mark Malone. Cork
0: Today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Court today on
1: C103. And Mark Malone, our movie reviewer, joins us with some movie suggestions for this weekend. Good morning to you, Mark. Good afternoon afternoon to you at this stage. Okay, two movies, uh, Ghosted and the second is Plane. And here's a quick trailer from Ghosted.
8: I'll just hang on. You'll see. She ghosted it. I'm going to London. Where am I? Can you walk,
0: Cole? Who are you? CIA. Home.
3: God. I want her Alive you got I'm the boyfriend
1: Okay I'm trying to work out from the trailer What have we got going on here with <laughs> ghosts?
8: <laughs> Action adventure? I suppose. Okay. Yeah. Um, we've seen it all before, and here we go again. Uh, you know, I seem to come here every week, and I talk about movies that have been AI generated, and uh, here we are, and uh, another one. Um, sorry, I have turned up my mic there. It's my fault. To okay. get you right? um And the thing is, is that th- this is on Apple TV Plus, which I know a lot of a lot of people won't have. Now I do have it. Uh, I signed up during lockdown. You know, like a lot of people, uh, I spend six ninety nine um, a month for it. But yeah. very very but ra- there's very rarely anything I really want to particularly see on it, and. Uh, uh, and this was one of the films where they, this is, and I think I talked about this recently. How they talk about the success of streaming movies on streaming kind of sites, but yeah. how do you gauge that? Yeah, do you know yeah. what I mean? And it's the same. Apple have said this has been our most successful movie, but the thing okay. is, is, as I say, you spend money on Apple TV Plus. There's not much on it, and then all of a sudden, uh, along comes a film with a big, big budget and, and two big, big stars, and you go, "Yeah, I'm going to watch it." But that doesn't necessarily mean to say that it's that, good. That it's any good, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And um, so this stars uh, Chris Evans and Anadara. Now we watched Anna de Armas in the Bond movie, uh, the most recent Bond movie, okay. where she kicked bottom, oh, and she was very, very good in that. And, and obviously, the makers of this decided it was meant to. The film was meant to star Scarlett Johansson, but she couldn't uh, make the film because of uh, scheduling uh, conflicts, and so they gave it to Anna de Armas, and uh, she does exactly that, and she's very, very good at that kind of thing. Um, it also stars Chris Evans. They've, they've worked together before. They were in Knives Out, and there's an awful lot of talk about uh, um, their on-screen chemistry and the, uh, throughout the film they're constantly referring to that in the film. Uh, people are constantly saying to them, look, you know, you should get a room. You should get a room. It's a kind of a running joke and it kind of gets a bit annoying after a while. The thing is, is that this has been hammered by the critics and I have no idea really, really why because it's the exact same as, you know, if you think, if you look at Mr. and Mrs. Smith, for example, with yeah. Brad Pitt or, or Night and Day with uh, Cameron Diaz and um, and um, uh, Tom Cruise, we've seen this kind of stuff constantly. It's These are the kind of the films that are that they're basically written. They're just a bunch of kind of, um, um, kind of action sequences. You have two actors, you know, doing their best with what little script they have. And is there
1: chemistry, though? There all seems to be chemistry between the for it
8: to work. To me, there was. And I don't know why there's too much um, kind of negativity towards this. Because, as I say, it's the same as an awful lot of films that I see. And I don't see any difference between this and films that people like. Um, the, you know, the critics have really hated this. I think there's, it's got about a 25% rating on um, Rotten Tomatoes, which I think is a bit of a shame. It's directed by Dexter Fletcher, uh, who who uh, made Rocket Man and Eddie the Eagle? You know, which are two movies which I really really liked. Yeah, and this is kind of his big, his first really big, big kind of action budget movie, um, uh, big budget movie. And I think he's uh, pretty done, uh, pretty well. You know what I mean? Um, so uh, at the start of the movie, we meet Chris Evans, and uh, he has um, this stall uh, where he sells uh, plants. And uh, along comes Anna De Armas, uh, who decides to buy a plant. But she kind of hints the, at the fact that she's not at home very often. So therefore, he says, "Well, look, you know." You should get a plant that uh, you don't have to. A cactus. uh, Yeah, so it it turns out to be a cactus. He says, get a cactus. Yes, it is. So there's a running joke with with, with the cactus. Uh, So they um, get on very, very well because they've got amazing on screen chemistry at off screen. And and so they spend the day and the night together. And the next day, she disappears. And she constantly doesn't respond to any of his texts or his phone calls. He gets ghosted. He gets ghosted. All right,
1: I was wondering where that was (laughs) coming in.
8: But apparently, uh, so he decides to try and look for her. And um, he um, has uh, asthma, apparently, and so his inhaler has a kind of a tracking device on it. Have you ever heard of this before? Never. <laughs> Which ends up in her handbag somehow. So he realizes that she's in London. So he decides, I'm going to do the romantic thing. Although everybody else says it's a bit creepy, uh, he says, I'm going to do the romantic thing. and I'm going to go to London. And uh, once he's there, he gets kidnapped by these bunch of bad guys.
1: Now, hang on. When he says he's going to go to London yeah. to look for his inhaler and to find this mysterious woman, yes, are we talking about it started in America and he jumps on a plane and goes to London? Or is he in another part of England?
8: No, he's in America. Yeah. And, so he jumps on a plane. Uh, jumps on a plane to go to oh. yeah, look for this woman who he, he knew for a day but do you know it's okay, all the you do? <laughs> it's the chemistry that's what okay, it's all okay. and uh, so he gets kidnapped there and then these bad guys try and torture him uh, because they think he's the CIA operative called the Taxman. all of a sudden bang bang shoot him up along comes Anita Armis, and guess who she is the tax she's the Taxman. <laughs> she is indeed <laughs> <laughs> so they, they, they walk out of this cave all of a sudden they realise they're in Pakistan as you do. How uh, did they end
1: up in Pakistan?
8: Yeah, exactly. Okay. And uh, <laughs> so don't be asking these kind of questions. You know what I mean? This is one of those films where you just don't ask these kind of questions. And there's a huge Pakistan kind of car chase where, funny enough, uh, all of the wheels, the, the steering wheels are on the left hand side. But actually. In Pakistan, it, they drive on the right. They, they drive on the left, but the, all the cars, pa- oh, the, the yeah, steering's are on the on right hand side. Yeah, yeah. But it, they actually filmed in Wisconsin. Okay. So actually, you know, for the first 50 minutes, I'm enjoying it. I'm thinking, you know, this is actually really, really good fun. And then it all gets a little bit silly, I have to admit. But. I am not going to criticise it like everybody else. Everybody else says it's rubbish. Everybody else talks about you know this AI generated script, um, but I actually thought it was kind of entertaining. You know what I mean? Or maybe I'm just desperate to have anything from Sky, uh, not Sky, it's from Apple Plus because I have to, to have to make it, it worth I, I don't it. Don't make
1: you feel like you you're, you're right. To there is the money one, everybody. there is one,
8: yeah, there is one amazing sequence by the way. Where obviously uh, Chris Evans ph- ph- phoned up a lot of his um, big shot actor pals and said, "Look, do you want to be involved in this sequence? It's a very good sequence." On YouTube, there's a bloopers reel. Don't watch the bloopers reel because the bloopers reel for some reason features all of these famous people who are involved in this sequence so don't do that because I was shocked and I was you know uh, taken aback by, by just how big these stars are in this sequence it'll ruin the sequence for you so look everybody say, look, if you go on YouTube if you go online if you you know it, it, there's a lot of negativity about this I thought it was fine I thought it was quite entertaining and there's an awful lot worse out there
1: ok mark it out of 10
8: I'll give it 6
1: 6 out of 10 ok and that's called Go Now, the second movie you watched is simply entitled Plane. This has got uh, Gerard Butler...
8: Yeah, uh, who's one of the producers here. And oh, sure. um, he, uh, apparently, the, uh, the, the producers of the film, the other producers wanted him to change the title of the film uh, to something that's a little bit more kind of sexy and a little bit more kind of um, exciting. And he said, no, we're just going to call it a plane. And actually, there is a plane. He flies a plane, but there's not much to do with the plane. I presume that the whole film would be one of those kind of set airport on a plane. movies, yeah, set yeah. on a plane kind of thrillers. Yeah. But it's not. Um, Does the plane crash? Uh, yes, exactly. Okay. So basically what happens is he gets on board this plane. There's only 11 people on the plane. The people who run the airline say, you know, there's bad weather on the way, but we can't afford you just for 11 people to go around the bad weather. You got to go through it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He goes through the bad. Now, he's he's a former RAF guy. And by the way, Jared Butler's uh, name in this film is Brody Torrance. <laughs> 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 you know that's, that's a hero's name if, if, if you've ever well, heard I
1: love that. the name Brody
8: so anyway so, so it's hit by lightning uh, they have to, they crash land the plane in the Philippines somewhere they don't know where they are and um, all of a sudden they're surrounded by terrorists and bad guys and uh, who are desperate uh, to kidnap them and uh, to, to, to hold them for, ran, uh, for ransom uh, Gerard manages to get away uh, from uh, the, the bad guys when they do kidnap all of the people and then he gets his hand on a gun and then he becomes Chuck Norris and from then on he decides well I'm going to kill everybody and he basically does. Um, again this is not very original but again for some reason people seem to kind of really like it um, I thought it was again alright it's again it's just one of these movies where you know we've seen all this before it's, it, there's nothing really new here uh, Gerard Butler who I've had problems with in the past I have to admit I didn't mind the the, the film Greenland that he kind of last kind of made um, but uh, I think as he's getting kind of of older and more grisly. I think he's becoming a better actor. And uh, look, he just runs around killing people and just seems to be having a really, really good time. And for most of the time, you do up until the end, which is one of the most bonkers, stupid, silly things I've ever seen in my life. But that's what a lot of modern writers do. They write these ridiculous sequences and don't really think, you know, about people sitting there going, but this makes absolutely no sense. It's like they go, well, just take it or leave it. It's there. Um, so look, in the end, again, but, but for some reason, this has been really, really well uh, received. Okay. I don't think it uh, deserves the plot it's that uh, it's getting. But again, it's a little bit more violent uh, than the other film. Uh, keep that in mind. I think this is a 16-cert. Um, but again, I, I, you know, it's, it's not terrible, but it's not very good either.
1: But, should he, but when the plane went down, surely air traffic controllers in the plane go down and, and saved them all?
8: Well, the problem is, is you see, that when the plane went, uh, got hit by lightning, all of the power went, so therefore oh, okay. the transponder okay. uh, didn't work. So therefore nobody had any idea where they were.
1: Well, they didn't even know where they were? No. Or <laughs> just answered and it's called plain. Yeah. Yeah, I, I certainly would question why, they went, why, they, why he went for that title okay Mark plain out of 10
8: I'll give it 6 as well
1: 6 out of 10 yeah. okay listen thank you for that have a lovely week and we'll chat again next Friday okay. thanks for that that is Mark Malone our movie reviewer that's what I leave you for today and indeed for this week my thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing all week Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we will be back with you on Monday morning at 10 o'clock until then have a lovely weekend I'm Patricia Messenger.
0: stay safe to Quart- Today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk.